With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our Fantasy Files series with a look at the Carolina Panthers passing game. I'll try to, you know, keep my Sam Donald slander to a minimum. You can check out our Sam Donald-specific podcast for all that. But, hey, we at least have evidence that, you know, uh, Joe Brady and company are able to put together a pretty high scoring unit. And, you know, it's nothing really against Teddy Bridgewater, but let's face it. He, this was not a good offense last year, 24th in points per game failed to surpass 31 points in a single contest. I guess when I say Joe Brady put together a good scoring unit, I mean, in terms of fantasy because DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and friend of the PFF fantasy podcast, Mike Davis all put up at least a thousand total yards last year. Obviously that guy, Christian McCaffrey isn't too bad in his own right. So whether, you know, or not the Panthers are a good real life offense, we do have direct evidence that at least in 2020, they can be a good fantasy unit. So the two stars of the show were DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Moore finished with 66 catches, 1193 yards, four scores. Robbie had 99 catches, 1114 yards and three touchdowns reigning PPR wide receiver. 25 and wide receiver 20 respectively and i guess the biggest kind of takeaway from this uh crew last year was that robbie was actually the one used as the more well-rounded wide receiver one i mean with the jets and really you know his entire career we've known he's a field stretching specialist he can do that and he can do it well since 2017 only tyree kill has more touchdowns on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield than robbie anderson it was everything else that we kind of wondered about and credit to brady for getting this out of him. Robbie set career high marks in PFF receiving grade, receptions, yards, first down, yards after the catch per reception, and percentage of catchable passes that were caught. I mean, it was pretty shocking from week one. Like we just kind of saw how Robbie was the one getting these short design stuff. DJ was the one uh, struggling to kind of get the easier completions because the one thing with DJ ever since he came out of Maryland that we've seen, like this dude is a monster with the ball in his hands. And that was kind of his calling card coming out of college. So to see him not using that manner uh, was surprising to see. Not that he had any issues, you know, being a legit number one. My point of saying all this is that both Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore have proven capable of doing everything that you want a number one wide receiver to do. They are not one trick ponies. Robbie's not just a field stretching specialist. DJ is not just a yak specialist. Both these guys can do it all. So overall it was more an Anderson joining Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill, as well as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as the only duos with at least a thousand receiving yards each last season. Again, Anderson is great. We get that more is better. In my opinion, he's still only 24 years old, you know, kind of becoming his generations. Amari Cooper is someone that we can just always reference their age as a reason to not give up on him just yet, even though they haven't quite met their kind of gaudy preseason uh, expectations. We just got to cut him some slack here. And I had an article go up earlier this off season back in April, just trying to break down the NFL's most unlucky wide receiver. Some of the cool stats we have behind the scenes at a uh, PFF can help us, you know, track uncatchable targets, situations, 
situations that the wide receiver, you know, wasn't their fault. And last year, DJ Moore was one of six wide receivers with at least 20 targets deemed uncatchable. If we focus that just on deep balls or excuse me, just on end zone targets, he was tied with Nelson Aguilar with six for the highest mark. And then on deep balls, he was also near the top of the list as well. So I had to give the overall nod to Jerry Judy on being the most unlucky guy, but I mean, DJ was right there as well. I mean, just five receivers had fewer than 85% of their open targets be considered catchable. Travis Fulgham, Darius Slayton, Judy, DJ Moore, Nikhil Harry. That's going to be a sheesh for me, ladies and mostly gentlemen. I mean, DJ, he got open every single time. It was the, uh, you know, maybe not every time. Slight exaggeration on my part, but whenever they threw this guy the ball, good things happen. I'm trying to remember, I'm looking it up right now. Like he had a game at the end of the year only had two catches or for the longest time he was being held in check. Uh, okay. It was the Atlanta game. That's right. Atlanta game in week 18. He finishes with six targets, two catches, 55 yards. He didn't have a catch until like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. They throw him a drag. He stiff arms the hell out of someone going out of bounds. Then Teddy just tossed one up in double coverage and DJ went up and got it. So I, I know Steve Smith, you know, incredible player. I think sometimes as an analyst, he's a little harsh on guys. I don't know. I guess he deserves to be that dude has achieved so much in his career when dj moore got drafted steve smith was saying like this is the second coming of me i love the pick but i know in more recent history he's been more critical of dj moore and kind of if he can be that overall wide receiver one again not to you know, try, try to start a war with steve smith he's the man just saying i do think dj has proven capable of being a high-end wide receiver one it's just a matter of getting the right targets and uh you know being in a better overall offense because that's the problem for both of these wide receivers i mentioned all all the unluckiness for uh, DJ Moore last year. And hey, the good news, Teddy Bridgewater is gone. And he was the guy that was causing all that unluckiness. The bad news is now we have Sam freaking Darnold under center and people, I just really don't think it's an upgrade. Quickly, Darnold, since entering the league, 44th, 44th among 50 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, tied for 38th in big time throw rate. Tied for 40th in turnover-worthy play rate, 40th in yards per attempt, 44th in adjusted completion rate. I, uh, you know, one of my... Not favorite things. An annoying thing I would say about my job is every now and then I'll have a tweet go somewhat viral and it kind of makes its way out of fantasy Twitter. It just gets to these people who don't know who I am, don't know that a lot of stuff I say is tongue in cheek, borderline sarcastic, hell, even a straight up lie from time to time. And I was tweeting about Sam Darnold yesterday and I said that he should be just fine with the Panthers if he can find a way to get more accurate and efficient while creating more big plays as well as limiting turnovers. And the amount of like earnest replies I got just saying like, well, man, if you kind of apply that to every quarterback in the league, uh, you know, they would be better. I'm like, yes, that's the freaking point. He needs to improve everywhere in order to be better and stop it with your Ryan Tannehill comparison. Ryan Tannehill was a far better quarterback under Adam Gase and the Dolphins than Darnold ever was. Don't believe me? Here are the numbers. Ryan Tannehill with the Dolphins was 25th in PFF passing grade among 77 qualified quarterbacks, 30th in big time throw rate, 41st turnover worthy play rate, 34th yards per attempt, 21st adjusted completion rate. Tannehill was objectively an average to maybe below average quarterback when he was with the Dolphins. Sam Darnold has been anybody's idea of a bottom 10 quarterback since the day he stepped into the league. And I think just in terms of overall talent from their own right, I mean, Tannehill, was a college wide receiver at Texas A&M to start his career. He transitioned to quarterback. It makes sense for Tannehill to be the guy that kind of comes out, takes a little while to kind of become this pro ready quarterback. Where's that excuse for Darnold? We can say the same age thing like we do at DJ Moore. I mean, I get it. Sam Darnold is a young guy. He is only 24 years old. Great. 
unfortunately, we just haven't seen any shred of evidence that this guy is going to just take this leap forward. I saw the 49ers throw. I saw the Colts throw. Sam Darnold, when he kind of gets out of the pocket and he can play, you know, backyard football, I think it actually is to his advantage. The problem is we just see too many examples of him holding on to the ball so damn long and not trusting his offense. And hey, maybe going to Joe Brady, maybe having these better receivers is going to fix all that. I'm just saying history tells us that if you're this first round QB and your original team says, you know what, we're good. It's not good. Here are the first round QBs that failed to play at least six seasons with the team that drafted them since 2010, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen, Paxton Lynch, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Blake Bortles, Johnny Menzel, Teddy Bridgewater, EJ Manuel, Robert Griffin, Brandon Whedon, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Tim Tebow, and Sam Bradford. Sheesh. I mean, if you look at, you know, Darnold moving forward, I would say his best case scenario is like a more mobile middle-class man, Sam Bradford. Maybe that guy can win football games. Maybe that guy can enable a couple fantasy relevant wide receivers. Please people just keep your expectations in line. I truly don't like, I hope Darnold is great at football. The game is better when we have great quarterbacks all around the league. I want to be able to invest in these options in the passing game more fruitfully in fantasy, but objectively, I just don't see Darnold being good in the year 2021. If he changed it and turns it around, I'm going to have to come back to this podcast and tell you all I was wrong. Based on the evidence I see right now, I just think Sam Donald objectively sucks at being a professional quarterback, which, hey, there's like 20 to 25 of them in the world that don't suck based on, you know, what the stats we're using relatively. But either way, please stop with the Tannehill comparison. I've had it there. Last point before we get to our PFF Lewis stat, I don't quite see the same sort of, you know, available targets as a reason why we should be getting behind these wide receivers. And it's a good stat. I like using available targets as the reason why we were so high on AJ Brown before the Julio Jones trade, why, you know, the lions are a fruitful opportunity, but we see, you know, the Panthers right there at number four, they joined the lions, the Jaguars and the, uh, Titans, excuse me, as the only four offenses that have at least 200 available targets. The problem is Christian freaking McCaffrey is coming back to soak up all the underneath stuff. So while we can dream about DJ Moore getting a more yak friendly workload, soaking up Curtis Samuels underneath targets, it's going to be Christian McCaffrey that gets that. And unfortunately, there's a real chance that we say DJ and DJ and Robbie kind of become more of 2A, 2B pass game options as opposed to the 1A, 1B situation they had last year. So Takes me to my PFF Lily stat here. It's a little, you know, this is not the most serious stat I've given you all, but basically I was looking at his, uh, you know, just career stats and I noticed his yards per carry mark 11.1. I mean, that's a gaudy number right there. Only 21 career carries, but I took the, uh, you know, minimum threshold, 20 carries, looked at every player in NFL history with at least that many and looked at the yards per carry mark, fully expecting to see DJ number one. And I was wrong. He is number two. Number one, Mr. Lewis Lips from the Steelers back in the 80s. He was a wide receiver, and I guess I got to review the film. They must have had some hell of a, you know, wide receiver reverse stuff in their playbook because, man, for him to have, you know, more than that 11.1 that DJ put up is something. I believe Lips was actually over 13 yards per carry. So, Lewis Lips, if by some, you know, chance in hell you're listening to this podcast, kudos to you, man. You uh, had yourself a nice little career as a rusher. Hopefully, DJ Moore can fix his usage and just his quarterback play. I mean, we're talking 
talking about a guy that's starting to look like his generations, Andre Johnson, Allen Robinson, in terms of a great talent that produces anyway, but man, let's have someone other than, you know, the injured version of Cam Newton or Kyle Allen or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Donald throwing this guy, the ball, the bad QBs are racking up. And because of that, I have DJ Moore as my wide receiver 26 and Robbie as my wide receiver 32 ahead of next season. This means, and this has been the result, I am getting almost no DJ Moore in best ball drafts because he is going as the wide receiver 18. Robbie's going as the wide receiver 32. Remember, last year, Robbie Anderson was the wide receiver 20 and DJ was the wide receiver 25. I fully agree with anyone that want, that says DJ Moore is a better real-life receiver than Robbie. I, I agree with that statement. I think it's true. That's not what we're doing here. We're trying to figure out who's going to be the more fancy, just the more productive fancy asset. We saw as Anderson last year, and now... Robbie's old quarterback is back. Now I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you guys that they had great chemistry. I actually, I accidentally caused like an uproar on jets Twitter last year when I posted a cut up of Sam Darnold missing an open Robbie Anderson downfield, a good minute long video, like more than one example, believe me. And then Robbie actually quote tweeted it, put this, you know, kind of emoji of like the face with the wide smile, not a smile, but almost like the, you know, pretty much a sheesh face. If he had to make an emoji out of it and jets fans were like, geez, man, like way to throw your quarterback under the bus. I think Robbie deleted it or he came back and it was just like, you know, didn't work out whatever it was like, don't kid yourself. Like Sam Darrell and Robbie Anderson were never great together. It's a reason why Robbie is considered one of many post uh, gaze breakouts. And I don't think getting Darnold back in the building is helping there. Have we heard some positives from Darnold and OTAs? Sure, but it's one ridiculous thing after another. McCaffrey, you know, talking about how he just has like an aura around him or he's like a brighten up guy and Robbie's saying he's more confident this time around. Maybe those things are true, but I'm sorry. I can't just change everything we've seen from Donald on a football field over the past three years, because his, you know, teammate tells a media member that he likes you know, the swagger he's carrying into the locker room. So Robbie Anderson is someone I'm fine attacking at that valuation. He's my wide receiver uh, 30. So I have been getting him and I think, you know, he could even go up a few spots higher, uh, but yeah, I will be taking the Buccaneers, the Rams, the Bengals wide receivers, even Devonte Smith over DJ Moore. Again, trying to predict what will happen, not necessarily what I want to happen. I hope Donald's great. I hope, both DJ and Robbie Anderson can emerge as top flight fancy options. Just not so convinced it's going to be the case. Last note would be Terrence Marshall. I think he's fine as a dynasty guy. I just wouldn't have that high of expectations going into this year. You know, really great notes on him out of our PFF draft guide. You know, someone that we were actually a lot higher on then. Uh, I think the kind of consensus out there. But as we saw, he fell a little bit. There are some, you know, just potential longer-term injury concerns. And the bigger issue for me is like his best case is as a number four pass game option in what I fully expect to be a below average passing and scoring offense. And that's best case. I mean, David Moore is there. He could certainly slide in and actually work ahead of Marshall for year one. You know, some people, Josh Norris, very much respect, does great work at underdog. He thinks Marshall could lead this team in touchdowns. Maybe. But is that going to be more than five or six touchdowns? I don't know. So Terrence Marshall, someone that in Dynasty, you know, if you want to kind of be ahead of the mass, make him your wide receiver five, even, I wouldn't disagree with it. Just think in terms of 2021 redraft, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for him. 
Hope you enjoyed the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everyone, if you did, please check out the rest of our podcast network, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football. And also, if you're going to be out there on the best ball streets, I invite you to go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF. Get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Last note, everybody. You know, I get some people reaching out to me, just analysts around the industry, and they ask, you know, what kind of what I did to get here and just support whatever it is. And hey, you want to ask, then I appreciate it. I'm not someone that likes, I don't know. I feel kind of braggy. I don't like talk. I just like to do the work. You don't need to talk about doing the work. Just get the thing done. I hated those kids in college that would tell you how long they were in the library. How about the kid that spent 30 minutes studying for a test and got the same grade? Like that's more efficient. That's more of a reason to brag in my opinion. But the one thing I would just say is if you're someone that does host a podcast, like take notes before it, plan what you're going to say. You don't need to read a word for word, but my goodness, people, a podcast is an open note test. Don't tell me that you're better when you wing it. That's an excuse for being lazy. I don't want to hear that. Even if you like, just don't want to look at your notes, like you should still prepare them, get your mind right. And you're going to be better off doing it. You know, people, I know writing isn't the hip thing to do anymore, but it really forces you to rationalize your thought thoughts. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of my best tweets, best thoughts, and just kind of best notes on podcasts come from taking five minutes before sometimes more, sometimes less just to kind of put together a general outline. So again, you know, if you're someone out there that wings and I has offended you, you know, so be it. It's a fantasy football podcast. Don't listen to me. What do I know about anything else? But those are just my two cents on the matter. And I've had enough people reach out that I thought I would share that before we get out of here. So thank you as always for tuning in new PFF fantasy files every single day. We'll get some more 10 questions. Goodness going as a summer goes on as well. So I mean, hard to has been the PFF fantasy football podcast until next time. Take care, everybody. 